Hello, and welcome to the Canine Conversations podcast, where we're positively obsessed with behavior. Join certified dog trainers as we discuss case studies, explore training concepts, and interview experts in the fields of behavior. Today's episode includes myself, Marissa Martino, owner of Pause and Reward Dog Training in Boulder, Colorado. And Kayla Fratt, the owner of Journey Dog Training here in Missoula, Montana. And in today's episode, we're going to discuss a variety of reinforcers that you can offer your dog during training sessions and real-life scenarios. A couple things before we get, begin. Remember that regardless of whether we're in training mode or not, our dogs are always learning from the environment. And we need to remember that we're only a small part of the environment. So keep in mind that there are other things in the world that might be reinforcing or punishing your dog's behavior at all times. With that, though, one of the simplest ways to look at reinforcement and how to change behavior is to look at the ABCs of behavior. That's the antecedent behavior and consequence. So the antecedent is the thing that happens that sets the, sets the stage for a behavior. So you walk to the front door, put on your shoes, and grab, your, grab the leash. That sets the antecedent for your dog to follow you to the door and hopefully sit for you to put the leash on. You might not need to say it, call your dog to you or ask your dog to sit because the antecedents make it quite clear. The consequence of this is you clip the leash on and you take your dog outside for a walk. If the antecedents of you walking to the door, putting on your shoes and grabbing the leash lead to the behavior of your dog jumping all over you and screaming like a banshee until you put the leash on and take your dog for a walk, both ways you have just rewarded your dog for that behavior. So when we're looking at changing behavior, we can look at either changing the antecedents so that we elicit or don't elicit a behavior that we want, as well as changing the consequences to either reward, reinforce, or punish a behavior. One of the things to keep in mind here is that reinforcement is only reinforcement if the behavior changes. So if you're doing something that you think is reinforcing to your dog and your dog's behavior isn't increasing in frequency, you're not using positive reinforcement, okay? We're also not really going to focus on negative reinforcement in this episode. Um, it just makes things a little bit too complicated. We don't really use negative reinforcement much as least intrusive, minimally aversive trainers. We're mostly going to focus on positive reinforcement here. And positive reinforcement just means we're adding something to the environment, toys, treats, praise, play, food, all that sort of stuff to reward a behavior. <laughs> Awesome. And as pet parents, we need to make sure that we're using a variety of reinforcements and that we're thinking proactively, like Kayla was talking about, about these behavior contingencies if we want to encourage the choices that we desire. And um, I hesitated to say if, that we want to encourage the right choices from the dog because according to the dog, most of their behaviors work for them. And so we want to make sure that we're asking the question, what is the function of this behavior for the dog? And we need to look at the situation through the eyes of the learner always. So this, this requires us to sort of step out of ourself and, and look at it from, from the dog's perspective. So we really want to make sure we're doing that during our training or even just during our everyday interactions with our dogs. Yeah. So one of the other things that we need to keep in mind, there's a lot of things that we need to keep in mind before we even get started training our dogs. Mm -hmm. So when choosing a reinforcer, you want to keep several things in mind. One of the most important things is that you need to make sure that your dog is interested in that reward 
at that moment. Sometimes we get calls from clients who say that their dog isn't food motivated and we look at the dog and the dog is morbidly obese and just has kibble laying out at all times in an overflowing dish. That dog isn't food motivated because <laughs> isn't motivated by food to work in that environment because the dog is getting food for free all the time. So you need to make sure that whatever you're offering your dog is interesting to the dog at that moment. For a lot of other dogs, you know, they might be interested in working in order to gain access to exercise. But if that dog has just had a full hike, um, that dog might be a lot less interested in, um, you know, sitting in exchange to go for a run because that dog doesn't really want to go running in that moment. One of the other things that we really need to keep in mind is that your reward is high enough value in that particular context without being so high value that it ends up being coercive. For a really interesting episode on that, check out Sarah Streming's Cog Dog Radio podcast. Um, so let's talk about making sure it's high enough value first. Let's say that I'm out for a hike in Missoula, Montana, and we see a small herd of elk. And I call my dog to me, and I offer him a really hearty, happy, good boy, what a good dog. Oh my gosh, you're the smartest, best dog in the whole world. That was probably not worth it for him. Now, because Barley and I have done a lot of work together, I might be able to get away with that a couple times. But if every time I do a really intense wildlife recall and I just reward him with praise, pretty soon he's going to decide that chasing elk is a lot more worth it. Instead, what I try to do is I'll carry around um, some farmhound dog treats or something like a stick or a pine cone or a ball, which are incredibly high value for my individual dog, and I'll reward him with that for a wildlife recall. Your mileage may vary depending on what is most interesting to your dog. If you've got a dog who's extremely interested or disinterested in something, just know that you're going to have to put in a lot of work finding the right reward value in order to counteract that. And one of the other things that, again, Sarah Strumming did a really good job talking about in her Cog Dog Radio podcast was making sure that your rewards aren't so high value that your dog feels like their life and death. So for example, again, my dog Barley is absolutely bonkers for tennis balls. I cannot reward him for nail trims using a tennis ball because he is so desperate for that tennis ball that he doesn't feel like he can leave the situation. And he's practically holding his breath the whole time that we're trying to trim his nails because he's so excited and so desperate for the ball. Instead, I actually use pretty low value rewards when I'm doing something like nail trims so that it's a very easy choice for my dog to decide that he just wants to get up and leave instead. Marissa, does that make sense to you? Did I? Yeah, it does. It's what you're saying. And I'm sure what Sarah was saying is that like when you have that ball there, because that is so high value to him that you're almost, you're luring him into the situation mm -hmm. and he's stuck between a rock and a hard place, if you will, or like a nail trimmer and a tennis ball, if you will. Right. Yeah, yeah and, exactly. And he's choosing to stay there because of the tennis ball, because it's so high value, not because he's actively saying, Hey, Kayla, you have permission to trim my nails right now. Right. And, yeah. and, and so, so you're, you don't want to be luring your dog into a situation that that could potentially be uncomfortable. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. I think one, you know, to take it to a human example, um, it becomes really obvious when, you know, we're talking about say a job. So say that I am newly married and expecting a baby and I have a really, really high paying job that allows me to make all these big life changes, but I hate my job and I hate my boss. Even though, yes, I'm being rewarded or reinforced for my work with that paycheck, 
um, that doesn't necessarily make me feel good about the whole situation, mm-hmm. right? Um, so there becomes a point at which our rewards can be so high that they're actually forcing the dog to stay in a situation that the dog doesn't want to be in. Mm-hmm. Um, and we want to make sure that we're giving them better choice. So yeah, we'll talk more about, we, we, we can talk more about that, but again, um, Sarah's got a great episode about it. So yeah, we don't we'll need link to, to that. Uh, spend too much time talking about it. Honestly, we'll link to her podcast in Absolutely. the show notes. So let's start out talking about food. Shall we? Yeah. Um, so why is food first on our list for positive reinforcement? First off, all dogs eat. Even the dogs that aren't traditionally what we would call food motivated, they do eat. They are alive. They're not <laughs> emaciated. They eat eventually. Mm-hmm. So um, the other the other awesome things about food are that it's really easy to deliver. Mm-hmm. Um, in 99.9% of cases, it's really easy to give that food to the dog and then the dog eats it and swallows it. And then you're ready for your next training repetition, which kind of avoids some of the messiness that gets involved when say you're trying to reward your dog with a tug toy and then you have to figure out how to get the tug toy back. Um, for most dogs, it can be pretty high value. Um, so we can increase or decrease the value of food for most dogs by changing the type of food that we're offering. I do know a couple labs that I'm pretty sure you could literally train train with gravel um, and they would still be really excited about it. So sometimes, yes, with certain dogs, it's hard to get food to a lower level of excitement. And yeah, there are some really picky dogs where even something like fresh cooked bacon isn't all that exciting. But for most dogs, we can modulate the value of food really easily, which is super helpful. Mm -hmm. It's also nice and fast. Um, as someone who trains quite a bit with toys, I tell you, I will tell you that food is almost always faster and cleaner in a training session. And I don't add toys in until later because you just can't get nearly as many repetitions in with food or with toys as you can with food. Um, one of the important things to note here is that we don't necessarily call this just treats because we also use our dogs daily breakfast and dinner rations as part of their training. So if I'm going to agility class one night, I actually will feed my dog most of his dinner that night out of a snuffle mat to keep him quiet in his crate while he's waiting his turn. And then I also feed him a couple really big food rewards on course for difficult agility tasks. So um, there's a couple of things, you know, and we've talked about this. We've talked about some myths about using food and training, and we'll link to that podcast again in the show notes mm-hmm. if you guys want to check that out. There's no behavioral reason not to use people food in training. Um, there's a bit of a myth out there that using human food um, will lead to your dog begging at the table, and that's simply not true. Your dog has no idea that the hot dogs that you specially purchased for him are dog food versus the roast chicken that you pull off of the rotisserie um, from last night's dinner is for him. He doesn't know that. The only thing that's going to produce begging is rewarding your dog for begging by feeding him at the table, mm-hmm. either on purpose or inadvertently. I know I drop food all the time. Yeah, and that's most I do of the reason my dog begs. <laughs> I do yep. on purpose. Too. I'm just a clumsy person. That's why my dog begs. It's not because <laughs> I use food in training. <laughs> so then, you know, just keep track of what your dog likes, loves, and can't live, it, can't live without, and then use the right um, excitement level for, again, both the task um, and the situation that you're in. So indoors, with most of my training, I personally just use kibble with my dog, Barley. Outside on walks, I really like Zook's minis, um, but Zee Peak and some others are really good training things. And then off leash, you know, yeah, I'll bring hot dog um, 
or boiled chicken breast. My friend Cece does um, this really awesome, it's like freeze-dried cheese cubes that her dog oh, wow. goes absolutely bonkers for. I have no idea where she gets them. Um, I will find out and we'll link to them. Um, they're amazing and they don't make a mess out of her pockets. Oh, wow. That is um, key for food right? reinforcement. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, you know, a couple other ideas out there. You can use meat-based baby food. Um, Gerber chicken with gravy or beef or something can be really awesome. You can put that on. I'll put that on a pretzel stick so that I can reward the dog um, through a muzzle. And also if the dog chomps at the stick on like a popsicle stick, it's no big deal. Your dog just eats the pretzel stick. Um, I love that deli idea. Deli meat. Yeah, right? Yeah. <laughs> you can also use, you know, deli meat, sausage, cheese, cream cheese, peanut butter, natural balance treat logs. Those are really great. You can cut them into small pieces and just keep them in your fridge. Stella and Chewy's freeze-dried cakes. You can break those into small pieces. Red Barn or natural balance treat logs. Zewi Peaks air-dried dog food. Um, we also are sponsored by Farmhounds. They've got some nice chicken gizzard sort of things that are really good yeah. as kind of big, chunky treats to reward in training. Use the code K9Convos when you check out to get your discount. Um, anything else to add on food, Marissa? Yeah, we... there's there's two questions that come up for me that I wonder if some of our listeners are thinking of. It's like, how big should a food reward be, right? Let's say mm -hmm. I have like a 10-pound chihuahua. So you know, that is some resistance that we sometimes hear like, oh, I don't want to add all these treats in my dog's diet and so on and so forth. So well, how would you handle that? Um, I would, in, in most small dog cases and really in most cases overall, I use their daily kibble for mm -hmm. most of our training. One of, again, if a dog isn't unusually unmotivated by food, I find that in most of my training, kibble is interesting enough. And if kibble isn't interesting enough, that might mean that my training needs to be easier or more exciting for the dog. Mm -hmm. Um, so I actually hot take, I kind of use a lot of low value food because I find that really, really useful as a gauge of the dog's, um, arousal levels. Yeah. Okay. But if I'm working, you know, with a really fearful or reactive dog, then yes, yeah, sometimes necessarily we're going to have to increase. Anyway, you asked about treat size. Um, so yeah, for a little teeny tiny dog, I might do something like getting, um, diet cat food. Um, and you know, like cat kibble pieces mm -hmm. can be really, really tiny. We might use boiled white chicken breast. That tends to be pretty low calorie. Um, some of the liquid foods, um, mm -hmm. you know, you can freeze them and then use yeah. like a licky stick yeah. sort of thing. And then definitely just making sure we're decreasing um, that daily food ration and potentially increasing their exercise. If, if you know, if the dogs are already overweight, they didn't get there that way overnight and potentially we can actually lose some of those pounds um, as we're as we're trading as well. Yeah, I feel like I, I wind up doing I wind up saying, OK, so if you're going to feed your like, don't don't just add the calories on, figure out how many mm -hmm. calories your dog needs. And then your your dog's just going to be consuming those calories in a different way, like basically what you're what you're saying. And, and if we need right. to add in higher value food, then go ahead and just maybe feed a little bit less at the meal so that, it, again, you're not he, your dog doesn't have to get chubby in training is what I always say that <laughs> like you can yeah. just have have those calories intakes be from different types of foods and different points of the day versus just from the food bowl or Definitely. the food puzzle or something like that. 
Well, and one of the cool things I found as, you know, we talk about training dogs using the humane hierarchy is for most of our clients, I know this is true for myself and I believe this is true for you, Marissa, part of our treatment plan usually involves giving the dog more more physical exercise. Mm -hmm. I very rarely decrease or keep the physical exercise components to be the same Mm -hmm. for my clients. Or um, even if, you know, part of the goal is to get the dog to the point where the dog is comfortable on walks. Again, ultimately, part of our training plan is going to burn more calories. Um, So that often helps as Mm -hmm. well, where it's like, well, yeah, your dog is a little bit overweight right now. So we're a little worried about that. We're going to decrease the the meal size so that we can accommodate these treats. And this training is going to help get to a point where you can exercise your dog safely and happily, which is going to help shed those pounds in the future. And one other question I had um, specifically about food, but we can, it relates to the next two topics that we talk about is how do you know what barley likes, loves, and goes crazy for? Like, like, how do you know that? Ooh, Ooh, that's a great question. (laughs) Um, I mean, I have done things as silly as kind of making him a little meat charcuterie board, like a meat and cheese board. (laughs) And letting him pick. That's so awesome. Uh, um, I'm not entirely sure how informative that was because he ate the banana first. Um, well, well, maybe. I mean, it could, he could love bananas, but is that not true? I, I don't. So my theory is that he eats his fruits and veggies first and saves his favorite things for last. Um, and I noticed this when I was feeding him raw as well. Um, Interesting. He would eat like the fruit and veggie puree first. Uh-huh. And then save like the big hunk of meat to save her last. Interesting. He's like truly wants to be a vegan at heart. He's like, well, <laughs> you know. No, I think he's just, you know, he's like, you know, this this is going to stay in my mouth longer. Mm, if I. Yeah, yeah. He wants to end <laughs> on that, on that, yeah, he's that palate. Ending on a high yeah, note. You know, totally. it's, I know I do the same thing at like wine tastings where I'm like, ooh, that one's my favorite. I'm going to drink that one last. That's so funny. Um, I go, I'm, I'm the opposite. So I think that that's Oh, yeah. That's no, funny. I want to start with my least favorites. Um <laughs> So that's entirely useless. <laughs> <laughs> but still funny. <laughs> still funny. Um, you know, I mean, the, I think one of the things to keep in mind with all of the, you know, like it, love it, can't with, live without it sort of stuff is it's likely going to change from day to day. Yeah. Um, context to context. To have, right. Like, right. Yeah. Your dog could get sick of it. Um, mm-hmm. You know, I'm lucky to have a dog where honestly, I don't have to think about this very much. You know, mm-hmm. if I, I basically can break out his food rewards into, okay, dry and crunchy is going to be fine in most contexts. Yeah. Store-bought treats for the most part are going to be pretty medium, yeah. although there are a couple that are very high for him. And then something that's actually raw or cooked meat, human grade sort of stuff. Mm-hmm. That's going to be the highest level for us. And that really tends to be true for most dogs. I yes. don't generally find it all that useful to get super nitty gritty about like, oh, turkey versus ham or mm-hmm. like anything like that. I'm sure that there are some picky dogs where that's useful, but I personally have not. Yeah, found you're that saying to be like something. kibble versus ham or something like that. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Like, and for most dogs, that's going to be an easy peasy, yes, choosing the ham sort of choice. Mm-hmm. Um, Yeah, I don't necessarily find it super useful to get really, really granular about like, ooh, it's got to be dark chicken meat or something like that. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think that I I love the point that you brought up about about 
novelty, right? Like we see this as, as we see this in reinforcement. We see this in mental stimulation a lot that like novelty can play a huge point. We're going to talk about it in a little bit, but sort of changing that up because you're right. Like if I'm just giving you chicken every day out on our walks and like by week two, you're like, yeah, I'm sort of over this thing. Like the fox urine is way better, is way more reinforcing than the chicken than you have. Right. So I think, you know, changing that up, I think I've seen that uh, support a lot of my clients cases where they just like made the switch from ham to turkey and like saw a big difference. So same with us. We want novelty at times too. So. Yeah, absolutely. I know one of the biggest things that I find really useful when I'm hiking, um, you know, definitely I switch things up and, you know, honestly my bark box makes that easy because I just go with whatever, um, treats come in the bark box and mm -hmm. I use those as my recall treats. Um, cause they tend to be really big and weight way too big for most other training. Mm -hmm. Um, but I'll also occasionally like get an order of chicken nuggets and like sneak those into like a triple bag Ziploc in my hiking pack. And just like every once in a while when we're hiking, he gets like four chicken nuggets for a recall or yeah, something. That's awesome. I love that um, idea. And, you know, and that blows his little doggy mind. And yeah, that might make him a little bit bummed next time he comes back and he just gets like a farmhouse treat or something. But um, he still really likes those. And I find that, um, you know, switching it up and adding some of that surprise in can be really useful. Yeah. Yeah. I love that. OK, so now we're going to take a break to hear a word from our sponsors. Sully, come my big black lab mix comes sprinting back to me, away from the exciting distractions of the great outdoors. He has a huge grin on his face. What's he smiling about? And how did I get that rocket recall? The answer is the yummy and nutritious treats made by Farmhounds. Farmhounds makes the best all natural organic treats and chews, humanely farmed and pasture raised to keep your dog healthy and happy. Use the coupon code CANINECONVO at checkout to receive 25% off your next purchase. Visit them at farmhounds.com to start your shopping now. Okay, and we're back. And we, uh, Kayla just dove into all the different types of food that we could be using during training. And remember, she, she mentioned that this is really just like the easiest way to deliver reinforcement really fast to our dogs and, and over and over and over again, especially if they're really motivated for that particular food in that, in that context or, or in that training scenario, the next group of reinforcers is play. And so before we talk about play, we want to um, just go over a few things to consider when you are using play as a reinforcer. So a lot of these are going to be very similar to what we talked about earlier, but we just want you to have um, a context and how to envision how you how you can actually implement play. So is play reinforcing in that moment? That's a question you should ask yourself. So like, let's say, um, you know, I, I have treats in, in, in my pocket and I'm reinforcing Sully with food. And then all of a sudden I go to reinforce him for a behavior using play. Like maybe I, I, you know, grab a tug toy or, um, I, I get down and, and I'm really playful with him. And if his body language is just sort of like, yeah, cool. I, I, this is not really that fun for me, or he doesn't engage with me or he avoids me, or he sort of looks at my treat bag and looks back up at me. Like, 
play might not be reinforcing in that moment, especially if I've introduced another higher value reinforcer and the dog's going, yeah, but the turkey was way cooler, right? So we want to make sure that we're, we're, we're checking in to see if play is reinforcing in that context. And we especially want to do this with fearful dogs. Um, there has been times where I have thought a fearful dog and I were developing a relationship and, you know, um, he might have started to approach me and then I might have gotten a little playful in my body and then that sent them way back to the other side of the room being like, you're not safe anymore. So one of the things you want, want to pay attention to is whether or not your dog likes, loves, or can't live without any of these reinforcers is what is their body language telling you? So it's not up to us to determine, oh, play is reinforcing, so therefore I'm going to use it with my dog. Your dog's going to be able to tell you what is reinforcing to them. So pay attention to their body language. Another point is that we, we, we can use play sessions and turn them into training sessions. So I just did this with one of my clients and it was just, it makes, it makes a lot of sense because he he's done so much awesome work with this puppy. Like this, he is like the dream client and chip, if you're listening, he's so great. He's doing cooperative care with the dog. I mean, he is just so awesome. And he's got this amazing six month old burner and he's done so much training. And we're just talking about, incorporating play as a reinforcer. We were actually talking about incorporating a lot of other reinforcers, not just food into his repertoire. Um, and so what we're doing is we're having the dog, you know, sit down, touch, and then he gets to tug a little bit, or, you know, we're having him uh, recall his recall word is front. So he's saying front, the dog comes to him and then he he's playing and we're making sure that that play is reinforcing for that dog in that moment. If we auditioned a tug toy and the dog was like, yeah, I don't really want that, then do not use that as your reinforcer for that training session. So incorporating play and in, into your training sessions is great. You're sort of like, I don't want to use this euphemism, killing two birds with one stone because we are, we are humane people, but <laughs> it's the same idea. It's, it's, it's encompassing two goals into one training session. So in order to use play as a reinforcement, we want to make sure that we're regulating our dog's access to play during a training session. So for, for example, if I am going to just have the room sprinkled or littered with toys or something like that, or like the flirt bowl, it, there's like the dog has access to all these things, it might not be as reinforcing. So I want to make sure that I've got like the tennis ball or the tug toy or the flirt pole with me and that I ask the dog for the behavior and then they get access to that um, play or that that toy after the behavior. So we want to make sure that if, if, if toys are just laying around, they might not be reinforcing to the dog. So sometimes what I'll do is I will, I'll, I'll rotate toys and I have some of my puppy parents like put an alarm on their phone to just start rotating the toys in and out of the dog's access just to keep things new. So that let's say the dog hasn't seen the chicken toy for like a week or something like that, that I might use that toy as a higher reinforcement during during a training session. And then lastly, we want to make sure that again, we're matching the play energy with the goals for your training session. So some people, some people might argue with this, but, and I don't know what you use a lot of play and a lot of toys with barley and, you know, 
we were talking about if you're going to do relax on a mat and you're getting your dog to this really calm place and then you reward the dog with like um, access to like a thrown tennis ball, you're sort of going up and down in terms of arousal levels. And, you know, does that particular play session match what you're trying to achieve from the particular behavior? So, what would you say for that, Kayla? Because I know that you use yeah. a lot of, of balls and, and, and such for barley. <laughs> I do. I do. And I'm very careful about when I introduce them. Mm -hmm. um, you know, not just as far. I, I, and I have to be potentially more careful than most people because my dog's feelings about toys are so extreme. Mm -hmm. Um But, yeah, I don't introduce toys if it's a new skill where I want to build precision. Um partially because it's just really hard to get that high number of reps and partially yeah. because for my dog toys are so exciting that it's really hard for him to slow down and really think and practice and learn mm -hmm. um, when he's got a toy on the line. Um, I also definitely don't use toys for anything that um, I don't want to be building speed and enthusiasm. So I do use toys sometimes mm -hmm. in agility class. I actually don't use them as much as you would think because for Barley, <laughs> he gets so excited about the toy that he will um, currently it's, – it's above his skill level right mm -hmm. now to have a toy mm -hmm. in the ring right now. Um, you know, he gets so excited about the toy that he pops out of the weave poles versus if I'm training with food, I can get him to do the weave poles successfully. Yeah, yeah. That makes sense. Um, yeah. And, and also then, yeah, if I'm trying to do something that doesn't, I don't want that speed and enthusiasm, like brushing, you know, I, for a while <laughs> would reward him for a brushing session with a tossed toy. Mm -hmm. And I very quickly started getting a dog who would sit still for the brushing, but his eyes are wide and his ears are pinned and he's just bugging out, staring at the toy. And it's not because he's so unhappy about the brushing. He often falls asleep while we're brushing now. But if he thinks that standing still is going to get him the toy, he starts doing this like, look at how still I'm standing. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like he's like, yeah, it's it's just it's not helpful yeah. um, for the the kind of thing that I'm trying to teach him. So now instead... I get some low value food and I put him put it on the ground so that he lies down and looks at the food mm -hmm. and his head is on the ground. And he's just looking at the food and every so often I just pick one up and put it in his mouth. Yeah. And that gets much more of that really relaxed, that relaxed like I'm going to lie here while yeah. you brush sort of look. Totally. Well, a few different types of play reinforcement that we like, and I've been sort of alluding to some of them are, so one is tug. We really, really love tug. Um, and this is, this is good for so many different types of behaviors. And I, I love, um, especially if, if, if Sully is, um, let's say Sully is barking at the window, I will say, go get your toy. And he goes and he puts it, he puts it in his mouth and then he brings it to me and we do a little bit of a tug because he's just gotten himself overstimulated by whatever it is that he heard outside that I prefer that he sort of like work through that overstimulation on the tug toy versus just like losing his mind and barking at the window. And so we really like tug just because I think it, you know, it, it is such a great outlet for these oral dogs or these, these mouthy dogs or the dogs they get really overstimulated and it's, it can be highly reinforcing for dogs that want to play this game. Um, it is a myth that you will build 
you know, an aggressive dog by playing the game tug. Um, so, so feel free to sort of drop that, that old narrative around tug. Um, but I, I do think it's important to have some, some, um, boundaries with, with, with tug, right. That you, that you train a drop it, you train a, you, you ask the dog to sit and then you train to take it. And there's, there's like a give and take between you and the dog playing just from like a safety perspective. Um, and so, and that's not from like a control perspective or that the dog's going to be aggressive if we don't have that. It's just more from like a monitoring and managing arousals, uh, arousal levels. Um, Another game that we love is the flirt pole. And um, for those of you that don't know the flirt pole, it is just a really large, like how I describe it is like, it's a large cat wand toy, <laughs> like for dogs. Um, and you can purchase one online um, or you can make your own. So I actually just went and bought a bunch of PVC piping and cut it into uh, like three feet long. And I thread a bungee cord through them. And I'm actually just going to like give them to my clients because it's super easy. Like it's super easy for them to just have it. And we we then can tie a new toy on the end of the flirt pole. And that's really fun, too, because then you can change up your reinforcer like he might like the chicken toy one week and the frog toy the next week or so on and so forth. Um, so the flirt pole is great, but I do, this is one of those toys that I think the dog can get out of control pretty quickly because you're just standing and you're, you're waving it in this way, or you're like shimming it on the ground as if it were a snake and the dog can get really overstimulated by that. And, and by overstimulated, we mean, you know, uh, grabbing onto the toy really hard or even like missing and mouthing you or, you know, um, shaking it and do, doing all these things that like they're sort of, again, getting overstimulated and that's not a bad thing, but it might, you know, in order to get that flirt, in order to get that toy back and, and to do a training repetition, we need to have some sort of, um, management of that session, if that makes sense. Um, the other thing I love about a flirt pole just for a flirt pull plug, a flirt pull plug is, uh, say that three times fast, is I love a flirt pull instead of tug for dogs that are mouthy and travel up the, the tug toy to get to you. Maybe not to get to you, but it just so happens that they get to you. Um, the flirt pole is that they're chasing something at the very far end of you that they usually just stay in that same region of the toy versus traveling up the tug toy. Um, so just a flirt pull plug is what I want to say. Um, one of the other things that I always like to point out to people with the flirt pole is um, you might get a wide variety of different play styles based on the dog that you have. Um, so I, I don't know, probably, I guess it couldn't have been more than three years ago because I didn't have barley four years ago. Um, but I got very excited about the idea of flirt poles and um, went out and bought one and, you know, immediately like took it out with Barley and was super excited to exercise my Border Collie and teach him all these fun games, you know, working on like ready, set down or whatever. And I start waving it around and he just totally went into like herdy dog mode. Mm. Um, so he was stalking it really slowly and lying down and staring at it and not at all giving me this like fun, chasey, thrashy sort yeah. of exercise that I had been hoping for. Still very cool to see. Um, but just keep that in mind and don't be totally disappointed if you've got a setter or a herding breed or something that you get much or a pointer, you might get more of these like herdy, stocky sort of behaviors mm -hmm. with a flirt pole. 
and that can still be fine. You can actually still use that as a reward for these dogs. Um, but just keep in mind, it might look really different yeah. depending on the dog that you've got. Than what I was describing in terms of like dogs, get, mm-hmm. like, what, what did you say? Like thrashy, thrashy, play yeah, like I love fun, that. thrashy, chasey. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, yeah, I, I actually ended up giving the flirt po- toy away to, um, a client cause it was just like, eh, I did, I, this is not really what I had in mind yeah. for my purposes for it. And Barley liked it, but I can just play with a sheep instead if I really want to get the if I want the herdy stuff I'm going to go herd sheep yeah yeah and I think I mean I think that that's really important that you bring that up is that like you were really excited about the floor pole but then what you realize (laughs) is that your learner that you were reinforcing yeah it was it's not the right match right which is what I was very disappointed but it was very reinforcing for me to see my client with the Doberman mix puppy that was um this dog I I was going to call her a monster um (laughs) which is not a very nice thing to say about this dog um good catch but this dog was a lot to handle (laughs) and um yeah I mean this client still will text me being like oh my god thank you for introducing us to the flirt pole so you know yeah it's fine it's fine that my dog does not like yeah (laughs) sometimes it's the little things man like you know as trainers I was talking about this with another trainer yesterday it's like these little things that we give our clients at times you're like, Oh wait, you you didn't engage in that like 34 step recall plan. It's like, yeah, of course they didn't. It's like, they, they don't have time for that. Right. Like some, some of these people don't want to be trainers. It's not why they got dogs. Right. But they, they can totally implement a flirt pole. Right. Because that is so fun to watch and it's like really reinforcing for the pet parent. And so just something to consider. I love when people will give me feedback about like, Oh, thank you for telling me about this one little element. And it was really easy to implement and it made all the difference. And you're like, Oh, wow. So I don't know. I just, I I love, I love that, that, you know, the floor pole could have just like that, that could have helped save, you know, months of training. It it blew this little Doberman's mind. It blew her owner's mind. Um, I love that. Yeah. Yeah. It it was great. And yeah, it was totally not the tool that I needed for barley at the moment. Um, Mm -hmm. but yeah, anyway, so, uh, a few other options uh, is fetch. Um, so that's just a very obvious one. Um, and that could be with, I don't know, anything your dog loves and finds re- reinforcing. Um, another option is personal play. So just being really fun and engaging, getting your Disney voice on, maybe playing chase with your dog, like uh, getting down on the ground, like all of that, making sure that they are feeling comfortable with that and that that is reinforcing to them. And then lastly, our toys. And a few things to consider regarding toys is that, you know, some toys are higher value than others. So like some dogs go nuts over a squeaker, some dogs that might make them fearful. Um, I've seen a higher value. I have one client right now where if you present him with two different types of balls, if there's a rubber ball versus a yellow tennis ball, the yellow tennis ball trumps the rubber balls, like the yellow tennis ball is super high value. So we're working on drop it right now. And we're not starting with the tennis balls, uh, because they are just so high value, um, long rope toys, plushy toys, harder rubber toys, softer toys, right? So there's a variety of different types of toys that you want to audition, like very similar to what Kayla was saying about her charcuterie plate. You can do like um, a sample of a variety of types of toys and see what are the ones that your dog is gravitating towards. So yeah, I actually I love doing this um, 
with Barley um, and with other working dogs as well. Um, and uh, I actually, I was proven wrong recently. I thought that his favorite in the whole world was um, we've got a squeaky chuck it um, ball that has a hole in the middle so that you can put a, a rope through uh-huh. it. And I thought that was the absolute ultimate favorite toy. And we were doing, we, you know, I was talking to a friend. We're like, yeah, let's just see. And I put out um, a whole bunch of his different toys. And it's the Frisbee, actually. Mm. Um, but if you put out a, fl- a Frisbee and a yellow tennis ball at the same time, he kind of panics and, like, picks up one and then the other and then one and then the other and, like, doesn't really know what to do about the situation. Um, I'm going to continue using the squeaky ball on a string for detection training because it's just the easiest for me. Yeah. Which is also something to kind of keep in mind. Like, just because something is your dog's favorite thing doesn't mean you have to use it if you've got something else that's similarly good. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, like, I'm not – let's be honest. I'm not going to carry a Frisbee with me out in the field all the time. Mm -hmm. But I will carry a squeaky ball on a string. Yeah. Makes sense. So that wraps it up for our category of play and toys. And then lastly, Kayla is going to talk to us a little bit about environmental or life rewards. Yeah. So life rewards and environmental rewards can start. I think at first they feel really complicated for us. And then what I noticed as I was getting better and better at dog training and what I noticed with most other good dog trainers is we don't even think about them anymore. Mm hmm. But so let's kind of start with talking about what an environmental reinforcer yeah, is perfect. and then talk about kind of how they can be challenging to implement at times mm-hmm. and then how to overcome that. So some different environmental reinforcers that your dog might enjoy would be, you know, sniffing at a certain spot, hopping into the car to go for a ride, hopping out of the car to explore a new place, putting the leash on to go for a walk, getting the leash off to go off leash getting some water, going to the park, going to the trail, access to a person, um, access to another dog, going into the backyard, getting attention from you, squirrels, (laughs) um, all sorts of stuff along those lines. Obviously here, what can be challenging is a lot of times with an environmental marker, you don't necessarily have control over it. I had a really funny experience. I think I was telling you about this, Marissa. I was on a jog with Barley. And we're running and all of a sudden, and we've been practicing hike, um, you know, a cue for him to pull and, and run faster um, in preparation for the, the Barca Berkey Ski Jour race, which we took second in. Woo-hoo. Um, <laughs> woohoo. Um, but anyway, so we've been practicing this and all of a sudden he starts pulling like really, really hard, like really, really well um, to the point where it's like, okay, this isn't this isn't my training. Like there's something going on and his tail is wagging from side to side as he's running. Um, so hard. He's like almost hitting himself in the face, which is just, you know, it's not normal running behavior Uh for him. And it actually turns out that, um, one of my friends had gone for a morning walk and Barley had caught scent of him from like a quarter mile away and pulled me all the way to go say hi to this friend. Oh, wow. (laughs) Do you do nose work or detection work with this dog, Kayla? (laughs) (laughs) I know, right? I apparently can just use Jacob as a reward. Um, But, um, you know, this was fine for me because I was currently practicing teaching Barley to pull while I was running. If you were working on loose leash walking, that would have been a really frustrating experience because I couldn't control that Jacob decided to go for a morning walk (laughs) that day. And Jacob happens to live, you know, four blocks from me. Mm So, you know, that's that's uh, an example of a great environmental reinforcer that worked out for me in that case. But also highlights the difficulty of you just can't control them a lot of times. I wish I could dictate when a squirrel was going to show up in a training session. (laughs) 
but I can't. Um, and you know, sometimes I find it, um, sometimes allowing your dog to gain access to something by trying to use environmental reinforcers can create a feeling for the dog, um, of the idea that that reinforcer is therefore in play. I'm making a lot of assumptions about what's going on internally when the dog, when I say that, but what I mean is I've kind of seen anecdotally that sometimes when you allow a dog to access an environmental reinforcer as part of, you know, opportunistic training, sometimes that makes the dog attend to that reinforcer more in the future. So I got really excited about the pre-mac principle a while, principle a while back. Um, and was using access to chasing squirrels as a reward for checking in with me with Barley. And very quickly, I started seeing that Barley was actually more and more interested in the squirrels on our walks and was doing this kind of, he looked desperate. <laughs> Again, he was doing this thing where his eyes were big, his pupils were wide, his ears were pinned, and his mouth is tightly closed. And he's looking back and forth between me and the squirrel going, do you see me? I'm looking at you. Let me go chase the squirrel. And again, this was just, it had backfired a little bit. And I found it much more useful instead to reward him with food for ignoring the squirrels because trying to reward loose leash eye contact behavior around squirrels was actually bleeding forward to create this really intense behavior um, that really actually caused him to pay more attention to the squirrels. Does that make more, does that make sense to you, Marissa? Have you experienced yeah, that? Yeah, it does. And it's, it's funny. So pre-Mac principle, just for the folks that don't know that, right. Like how, how what it would look like in a training session. And I, you know, Kayla was, was, was alluding to that is that, you know, I'm walking Sully, we see a squirrel or he sees a squirrel and then he checks in with me. And then the reinforcer is not from me. The reinforcer is he gets access to go chase the squirrels and no squirrels were hurt during the filming of this training session. Right. Um, but, but so, so you're reinforcing your, your, with things external from you, which it's interesting Mm -hmm. that that is a question that I had years ago that I posted on the Colorado dog training network site. And everybody that, 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 uh, replied to that post was like, actually, I've seen the, the drive and the desire for that external, reinforcer go down. So what you saw was that it went up, which is interesting. Interesting. And this is like why every dog is an individual and all training plans need to be catered to. I will say that, um, I have done a lot of pre-mac with Sully around squirrels and I have seen the opposite of what you experienced. I have seen him sort of, I wonder if I'm doing it wrong. (laughs) 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 Well, I think it just depends. Like, I mean, I, maybe, I I don't know, but like, I mean, I, I, there was a time where I sent a lot of my clients to this really cool lure coursing thing in Colorado. And a lot of my clients were like, I'm really scared that if I allow my dog to chase this lure course, which is basically like a little, a bag on a string and they like send it flying in a field and Mm -hmm. the dog just chases after it. Um, if I let him do those behaviors that he wants to do, will he like pull my arm off the next time we see a squirrel? And I think it, I think it depends, right? I think it depends on what's, what is the most reinforcing for that animal in that given moment and and in that context. And can the dog differentiate between, okay, we're going to do some training work and some look at that work or some check-in with me or whatever work you want to do when squirrels are there and I pay off with turkey, but in the lure coursing uh, context where you're off leash and whatever, like it looks very different. So this is where you can actually chase, right? So it's a great question. And I think it just depends. Like, 
if the yeah, turkey for works me, for you or, or whatever, like whatever you're yeah. reinforcing him with, then that works for you. Right. For me, I've kind of interpreted as allowing him to chase squirrels as a reward for good behavior has therefore kind of put squirrels on the menu versus kind of being like, yeah, no, we're never going to do that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, has been better for us. And that Um, that makes sense. Yeah. I've also noticed, um, anecdotally when I dog sit for people who have fenced backyards Mm -hmm. where barley therefore gets to practice chasing squirrels in their backyards, I noticed him doing much more what we call crittering, Mm -hmm. um, out on hikes, like for the week that I'm dog sitting. So for Barley, it very much so seems like, you know, what fires together, wires together. If he gets any practice at all chasing squirrels, yeah, he's just, that it's increases, so, it's, it's like this positive, I mean, he's an incredibly obsessive type dog. Yeah. So I don't know. Yeah. But I mean, again, one of the, I think the, the, the problem with, um, with squirrels and the premac principle and all of this still stands that you don't necessarily control them, yeah. which still makes it really, really challenging. That said, environment and, – and one of the other things I think um, most environmental rewards other than squirrels are relatively low – either low value, um, you know, something like attention from you is a pretty – you know, it's kind of like a – it's a nice thing, but it's not amazing – for most of our dogs, mm-hmm. I know that hurts to hear. Yeah, it's true. <laughs> uh, um, or they're incredibly arousing sort of things like squirrels mm-hmm. going to the park, anything like that. And it's hard to modulate the arousal levels for the environmental life rewards. Um, so just kind of keeping all of that in mind, I do use quite a bit of, you know, I reward Barley for sitting at crosswalks by going forward after we have sat at the crosswalk. Mm-hmm. Um, And I think one of the skills is kind of knowing, um, recognizing an environmental life reward opportunity and then utilizing Mm -hmm. it um, appropriately and knowing when you may or may not want to utilize it. Um, You know, sometimes we see something out in the environment that Barley clearly wants and that doesn't mean that we're going to go get it. So I think that's another thing to keep in mind is just because you're getting into the mode of using life rewards, A, doesn't mean that you're going to stop using food and toys and play altogether. Please don't do that. Um, For most dogs, you will break all of your training (laughs) if you try to entirely fade out rewards that come from you. And B, doesn't necessarily mean that that means that all life rewards are automatically on the table. Mm-hmm. Um, even when you're, I assume, Marissa, when you're doing stuff with Sully and squirrels, that doesn't mean that every time you see a squirrel, you're going to go chase it. Yes, correct. Yeah. Correct. And I, you know, I think it, t- for Kayla's point in terms of like not removing rewards, like this episode, the purpose of it is to give you a, like to help you get really creative about mm-hmm. reinforcers and that it doesn't have to just be when you are wearing your treat bag and you smell like hot dogs. That is definitely a key component. And I'm sorry, like we're bringing back the fanny pack, right? It's actually, this is so, this is so funny. My stepdaughter who I've done a lot of training with her dog more recently, she got out of the car the other day and pointed to her new treat bag and it was a fanny pack. And she goes, are you so proud of me? And I was like, I absolutely Absolutely am. This is so amazing that you're wearing a fanny bag. I actually got, I actually got the cutest um, Kavu bag for my detection training stuff. It's, I mean, it's like a huge fanny pack, Um, but it carries like my first aid kit and my training Uh aids and my reward and my food (laughs) and like, and it's Kavu, so it's like cool and fun and outdoorsy. Yeah, Um, yeah. (laughs) 
<laughs> I'm obsessed. But I think sort of, you know, th this episode in terms of how it was designed from food, then moving into play and then moving into environmental life rewards. Food is the easiest. So start there, like start with that. Mm -hmm. Play can get a little bit more clunky sometimes in the life rewards, like Kayla has been saying, um, you know, I don't necessarily start with life rewards. I, I teach the dog a behavior using food or sometimes using play. And then I transition to some life rewards. Yeah. Right. So, yeah. So, you know, this is sort of like a, a transition, but, but, but remember that like what Kayla said, do not get rid of the food, right? Reinforcement drives behavior. And so we want to make sure yeah. that we are reinforcing. Yeah. And, you know, I think, Yes. My six-year-old dog generally does not get rewarded when he sits when I ask mm -hmm. anymore. Yeah. Not with food. Yeah. Um, but yeah, he gets some sort of environmental life reward, even if it's just me smiling or praising him or access to something else. Mm -hmm. So, you know, no, don't use the roast beef for yeah. sit with a six-year-old dog and use it to train your dog, uh, you know, I don't know. What's an incredibly complicated trick? Like a backstall. Mm -hmm. Don't use the same rewards or the same reward contingencies for two vastly different behaviors yeah. as far as how challenging they are for the dog. Um, and I find I tend to use environmental and life rewards uh, most often when I'm caught in a position where I want to reward the dog and I don't have anything on me. Yes. I don't tend to yes. plan for them. Yes. It's not like I'm going out on a walk and I'm like, all right, yeah, I'm not going to bring any food because I'm going to use life rewards. Yeah. I more am out on a walk and notice something that I want to reward. And then I look around to find a reward, yeah. um, which maybe isn't the best planning on my part, but also I think kind of keeps that reward contingency a little bit fairer to barley because I'm not ending up overly reliant on those life rewards, hopefully. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I love that. It, it loops back to what you were saying earlier about how it like, it feels a little bit clunky in the beginning, but it's actually can become really organic. It's like, oh, wow, you're really interested in pine cones right now. So let's do a quick two second training session or whatever and like use the pine cones, right? So it just, it, it helps you, it helps it happen throughout your life with your dog and not just like, I've cut up the treats, I've got my fanny pack on and we're, we're ready to go. Like it just becomes how you guys are operating. So. So to recap, the three main types of reinforcement that we can use to train our dogs are food reinforcement, play, whether personal play or with toys and life rewards. Marissa, do you have anything else that you want to add? Anything else you want to make sure that people remember before we sign off? No, I think if you guys have any other creative solutions for reinforcement, we would love to hear from you. And you can reach out to us at hello at canineconvos.com. We would love to hear from you or you can post it on our Facebook page. Um, so we're all we're all ears about learning creative stuff. So absolutely. And I'm Marissa Martino, owner of Pause and Reward Dog Training in Boulder, Colorado. And you can find me online at Pause and Reward reward.com. And I'm Kayla Fratt, the owner of Journey Dog Training in Missoula, Montana. You can find me online at journeydogtraining.com. Before we go, make sure that you guys are subscribed to Canine Conversations wherever you find your podcasts. You can find episode notes and bonus materials at canineconvos.com, which is canine all spelled out. We'd love to hear from you. You can also follow us on Facebook. Um, our theme music is called Funny Song. It's provided royalty-free from bensound.com. Our audio is mixed and edited by James Eady at beheard.org.uk. And our logo is from Walker Hooper, whose work you can find on Instagram at walkers underscore username. Thanks for listening. Bye. Bye, guys.